0: It's Friday, December 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The arrest of Sabrina Meng, CFO of Chinese company Huawei, is threatening to upend the trade truce between the U.S. and China, and it's hitting the stock market hard. Just as Trump and President Xi Jinping were calling a truce, Canadian officials arrested Meng for alleged violations of U.S. sanctions against Iran. Lauren Gardner, reporter for Politico Pro Canada, fills us in on China's anger over the arrest and how important Huawei is to them. Next, a Christmas classic is again facing controversy and is being called a date rape anthem. Some radio stations in the U.S. and Canada have removed Baby It's Cold Outside from their holiday playlist because some say the song is about a man coaxing his date to stay despite her wanting to leave. My producer Miranda joins us to discuss how the public perception has changed about this Christmas standard. Finally, it's one of the least wanted jobs in Hollywood, but somebody has got to do it, and this year's host of the Oscars will be comedian Kevin Hart. There's so much pressure for a host to boost ratings and please everyone that many say it isn't worth it to get involved. Stephen Galloway, executive editor for The Hollywood Reporter, joins us to talk about how hard it is to host the Oscars amid a trend of sagging ratings. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: Huawei is certainly an influential company in China, and them, along with ZTE, have definitely caught the attention of officials in the United States. There was a a defense law passed that includes a government-wide ban on getting any sort of equipment or services from either of those companies, as well as any other telecom firm that has connections to the Chinese state.
0: Joining us now is Lauren Gardner, reporter for Politico Pro Canada. The markets in the U.S. have been all over the place the whole week. Uh, On Monday, they were doing very well on news that President Trump and President Xi Jinping of China had come to an agreement, a 90-day ceasefire and all this tariffs and this trade war stuff. And then it started going up and down, up and down, culminating on Thursday with another big drop. A lot of people are pointing to the news that Sabrina Meng, she's the vice chairman and chief financial officer of Huawei, was detained by Canadian authorities and she might be awaiting extradition to the United States for violating sanctions, doing business with Iran basically, by violating the sanctions that we have in place on them. What do we know about her arrest in Canada and, and possible extradition to the United States?
1: So the Canadians are being really tight-lipped about the whole situation uh, besides generally confirming that Sabrina Meng was arrested in Vancouver on December 1st so last Saturday and she actually faces a bail hearing Friday So we might hear more then about what exactly is going on But for now, that's essentially all we know And also that this clearly came at the behest of the U.S. government Because she faces extradition to the United
0: States You said it happened on December 1st That was the same day that President Trump and the Chinese president were hashing out that deal To make that 90-day ceasefire on, on the trade war going on
1: That's right. And it's not clear whether the president knew of the pending arrest or not at the time of the dinner. National Security Advisor John Bolton told NPR on Thursday that some White House officials were aware that Canada was about to arrest Meng, but he said he's not sure whether the president was
0: aware of it at the time. Huawei has been in the scope of the U.S. government for some time now. They've been looking into them since, I think, this past April. And they're really important to the Chinese government and the economy there. They're pinning a lot of hopes on them to help them Reduce the reliance on the United States?
1: Yeah, Huawei is certainly an influential company in China, and them, along with ZTE, have definitely caught the attention of officials in the United States and particularly members of Congress. As you're probably aware, there was a a defense law passed this past summer that included language that includes a government-wide ban on getting any sort of equipment or services from either of those companies as well as any other telecom firm that has connections to the Chinese state.
0: Just to further this on how big Huawei is to China, they've overtaken Apple in smartphone shipments. They aim to surpass Samsung Electronics in the same thing. They've recorded sales of $102 billion this year, more than Boeing. And they're shooting for the lead in all this 5G wireless network that are on the way, they're saying next year and in the next couple of years. So they're super important. Let's talk a little bit about ZTE because we kind of went through this already with them, but the U.S. seemed to back down over really imposing any type of punishment on them. We just find them some more money and then everything kind of went away.
1: You're hearing a lot from members of Congress about referencing back to what happened with ZTE and saying, you know, Huawei is just another example of this kind of activity going on with the Chinese government. We need to stand firm and ensure that U.S. laws are upheld. So The Trump administration is likely going to get a lot of pressure from Congress to ensure that U.S. sanctions law, if that's in fact what Meng is accused of violating, ensure that it's being upheld.
0: A lot of this situation revolves around markets were going up and down. And China is very angry over this detainment of Meng. They're saying they're holding her without any real allegations. They don't even know why they're holding her. And this is why the markets are tossed into so much turmoil is that everybody thinks that this is going to affect this trade war we're going through. What's going to happen to the negotiations during this 90 day break that we're taking on the tariffs? And nobody knows what's going to happen. And they're thinking this can exacerbate that whole thing.
1: That's definitely the fear right now, especially within the markets, is what effect is this going to have on the talks? That definitely remains to be seen. But China is making it clear right now that it's taking this very seriously. And the next few days will likely be crucial in determining the extent to which this does or doesn't affect the status of those talks right now. And this also could potentially play into talks between canada and china with respect to their trading relationship canada has expressed an interest in expanding its trading relationship and exports to china so both north american countries are potentially facing some serious questions about how this could impact the trading relationship with china
0: there was a headline that i saw that said u.s nabbing huawei is the dog that caught the car and Does it know what to do next? And and we were talking about ZTE and how we fold it over on any real punishment there. It's what are we going to do on this? We want to make a deal. We want to end this trade imbalance. We want to stop China stealing the intellectual property of Americans and American companies. Now we have the CFO of Huawei. <laughs> Where do we go from here?
1: That's going to be a huge question in the coming days and weeks on this. And especially, like I was saying before, with now that this has Congress's attention, you're going to be hearing a lot from members who are particularly concerned with China's activities with respect to spying, cybersecurity in general. Senator Ted Cruz criticized Huawei as being a Communist Party spy agency that's simply veiled as a telecom company. So you're going to be hearing a lot of those concerns from other sides of the U.S. government as the Trump administration is trying to strike this delicate balance between enforcing U.S. law, but also moving forward in these trade talks with
0: China. Lauren Gardner, reporter for Politico Pro Canada. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: I'll
3: take your hat your hair looks swell i ought to say no 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 mind sir? if i move in at closer.
2: least i'm gonna say that i try what's the sense
0: of hurting my pride i really
2: can't oh baby stay.
0: don't hold out baby oh, it's, it's
2: cold, cold outside. Outside.
0: joining me now is my producer miranda we're gonna be talking about this controversy about The Christmas song, Baby, It's Cold Outside, it's getting a lot of backlash. Some radio stations have banned the song from their playlist. Listeners have, in turn, demanded it back. The conversation about this song has been going on for some time. But this year, a Cleveland radio station pulled the song from its Christmas rotation due to the controversial lyrics. Some other stations, one in San Francisco, one in Colorado, followed suit. And then there was the backlash. The conversation continues as people were calling Baby, It's Cold Outside a date rape anthem. (laughs) And it get pretty crazy. So let's talk about these stations and the backlash that they got.
2: The program director for one of the stations explains that people are unbelievably passionate about their Christmas music, saying it's the one thing you really don't want to mess with because people listen to it and reminisce about their childhood or just the good times associated with the songs. And so while people are sensitive and some are even upset by some of the lyrics. The majority of listeners have expressed that they don't find the song offensive and that they're offended that the stations pulled it
0: in the first place. In Colorado, they pulled it, then they did an online poll and they found that 95% of people wanted the song to come back in Cleveland. The first station that banned the song at first, they had a poll and people overwhelmingly supported the band. But then after that, after the controversy started (laughs) rolling again, then they said, okay, no, we want it back. So yeah, I think part of the problem is, is that we, as a society have changed some of these songs don't hold up back then in 1944 when the song was originally written, people said it was just a fun little back and forth, that cow and mouse game be- between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And it was fine back then, but that's not the case anymore in the in the Me Too movement.
2: Everyone points to the one lyric where she says, say what's in this drink. Oh, right. And we looked up the lyrics to the song and actually found a professional analysis of what that line really means. And it says back in 1944, when someone would say, say what's in this drink, it wasn't alluding to you know, Bill Cosby style quaaludes or he's secretly giving her alcohol. It's more of like she's trying to change the conversation by asking the question about what she's drinking. Right. It's not, hey, I'm not a hookup with you on the couch. It's, hey, what's in this drink? Yeah. You know, what am I drinking?
0: <laughs> the song was written in 1944 by Frank Lesser of Guys and Dolls fame. This song actually won an Oscar when it was a Neptune's daughter. Mm-hmm. It's been around a long time and people love this old song, some have even tried to defend it, saying it's a feminist song in disguise. Because I can see
2: that point, though.
0: Because back then, women were supposed to be very demure and, mm-hmm. and you know, not to be... If you were single, you couldn't stay over a man's house. And this was also kind of a a way to fight back on that front.
2: Right. He's trying to give her the excuse of why it's okay for her to stay with him in the sense that it's so cold, it's not even worth trying to go home. It's so late. Just you might as well stay. It's safer if you stay here.
0: I mean, this is part of a trend where we're going back over old songs and picking and choosing little things and making it into something else. This song no longer holds up. They don't age very well. Let's start banning them again. You can see it on that front. There are moments of this song where it seems like he's coercing her to stay against her will. But other people have said she obviously wants to stay. It's just these social norms that she's fighting. People are all over on this. But I think overwhelmingly, it's a classic Christmas song. And as by some of these polls, a lot of people just say, hey, don't mess with it. I want to keep it.
2: Yeah, but the bigger question is, what's the message it's sending to younger people and children, especially when trying to consider the thought about consent and no means no.
0: Right. Exactly. Even and in the song, she says no, no, no a couple times. She's
2: asking for her coat, and right. he's saying, "Hey, touch my hand instead." Yeah. yeah.
0: And this is not the only song that had some controversy. That was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because uh, of bullying. You were mentioning how. <laughs> yeah. They might not air. They're a, not a Christmas story. TBS
2: has decided to cancel their annual 24 hours of a Christmas story due to the scenes of bullying in the movie.
0: Yeah. So, I, it, you know, like I said, it, it's not that these things and these things just have not aged well. And it's us that have changed and people don't want that anymore. I know a Christmas story I always had some flack for their portrayal of Asian characters mm-hmm. at the at the very end of the movie. So times are changing, but there's so many radio stations across the country that play Christmas music nonstop. That's why these few stations right here were singled out because they are very few among the ones that started banning the song. Standing
2: up and saying, we're going to move the culture forward.
0: Right. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks,
2: Oscar.
3: Today, you want the the host to be Factor and bringing in an audience. Well, again, that's not the faith, the tried, the true. That's not the days of Bob Hope and Johnny Carson. So, if you want somebody of this age and of this era, we're no longer in an era that plays safe.
0: Joining us now is Stephen Galloway, executive editor at The Hollywood Reporter. So we're going to talk about the Oscars. There at The Hollywood Reporter, you guys had put out an article. The headline was, Why Oscar Host Has Become the Least Wanted Job in Hollywood. (laughs) And, you know, I saw that article. I I laughed about it. I read it. it, Everything rang true. And then at the end of the night, I think, or, or the very next day, the timeline is a little murky. Then the Academy announced that Kevin Hart is actually going to host the 91st Oscars. And he was one of the people that you actually put in the article. So we'll talk about that in a moment, but let's talk about why this has, why this is the least wanted job in Hollywood.
3: Well, by the way, I would imagine being Les Moonves' defense attorney or Harvey Weinstein's best friend. Those are the least (laughs) wanted jobs. But, but you know, within the realm of the normal world, there's enormous pressure on the host and huge expectations. You know, you, you have to navigate this extraordinarily difficult line between an audience that wants to be entertained, that wants to have things to talk about in you know, the water cooler conversation, and an institution that is inherently uh, wary of change, uh, that it's a very definition of the establishment and that will get very offended if, if things are done that are not right.
0: Beyond that, I mean, you can look at the White House Correspondents' Dinner and take a look how a bad host changes the whole game completely. Michelle Wolf went out there and she kind of flopped. You know, she was right. a little rude by some people's accounts. You know, yes. other people thought she was funny, but they changed the whole thing completely. And now the White House Correspondents' Dinner has no comedian being the host at all.
3: You're so, dead right. and And, you know, what Michelle said. Of that event proves pretty incendiary and in the social media age it flares up and, and becomes a worldwide phenomenon and then you have to do damage control right so if you're the academy that truly prizes its reputation you want to play safe you don't want to have somebody who's going to hurt you you know the first rule is do no harm now once you've said that If you want a comedian, and for some reason, there's been this tradition that comedians host, well, comedians push the envelope. They take risks. They may spontaneously say something that's off color. So either you're going to go somebody tame, or if you want the excitement, you risk controversy. Right. And up till now, they've gone on the side of avoiding controversy.
0: And that's part of the rub is that we love these comedians for those things, for that unexpected moment. Exactly. And, whatnot. and there's so much scrutiny on these events now that people will love those moments or hate those moments. And then it just overshadows everything. Right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the past hosts, because... There's been a downward trend in the Oscar ratings. I mean, for the longest time, it's just been a slow decline. Ellen DeGeneres, Neil Patrick Harris, Chris Rock, Mm -hmm. Jimmy Kimmel, the last two years, and just that steady decline.
3: Yes. So this is an issue that, you know, in the glory days of Oscar, when there were three broadcast networks, you knew you were going to have a massive audience. And so you could choose an Oscar host who didn't have to bring in more people. Today, you want the the host to be a factor in bringing in an audience. Well, again, that's not the safe, the tried, the true. That's not the days of Bob Hope and Johnny Carson.
0: And even Billy Crystal hosting nine times. I mean... Right, and the ninth time, he was brilliant eight times. And the
3: ninth time, he felt he was no longer quite of this age. So if you want somebody of this age and of this era, we're no longer in an era that plays safe. Right, exactly. And with broadcast ratings declining, people are not tuning in to see the results. They're tuning in for surprise. You know, the Moonlight win over La La Land was the most electric moment in pretty much any awards show in years.
0: <laughs> right. But,
3: but, and so you're tuning in to see if that kind of thing happens. Otherwise, well, I can go on YouTube and just pull out the highlights. Well, again, that means get a host who potentially can surprise. And the academy's where is that.
0: Yeah, and, uh, even in in your article, you mentioned uh, you know a lot of people that could possibly host, but nobody wants the job because it the, it only pays low six figures and requires mm-hmm. weeks of work. And it clicks in my head. I was like, I'd love to make low six figures for a few weeks <laughs> of
3: work. <laughs> but if you're Kevin Hart who's been named as the host, and you're making millions per picture, that's true. And you're yeah. shooting two or three per year. That is lunch money. Is that? Yeah. And you're not able to do – I mean, Kevin Hart makes millions and millions touring and doing and doing his comedy tours and has a whole business that he runs. So he's actually giving up money to do this. So why would you do that? Well, you do it <laughs> right. if you possibly want the prestige, which is somewhat declined. You wanted it to do it if you, in his case, want to say, hey, I am actually front and center of the conversation. But for most people – there's not really an advantage anymore if you're a B level performer you may want to do it but if you're on the A list what does it bring you right and kevin hart seems
0: he he seems to be coming from a good place on this he says now it's time to rise to the occasion and step up he's said in other interviews that he wanted to do it because it is the kind of culmination for a comedian's career to host mm-hmm. this and I think he is a great choice to host because he is kind of naturally funny and has a lot of energy so hopefully he could bring that to uh, to the presentation
3: he's naturally funny. he knows the difference between one audience and another audience which from the academic's point of view is crucial. you know if you go to his personal stand-up it, it can be raunchy but he's never going to be that right. in front of this audience he
0: knows how to play to the crowd
3: right. And he delivers something else which is crucial in this day and age, which is, thank heaven, the Academy has chosen a person of color to host. It would have been great if that had also been a woman, but this is a good step in the right direction for what's been the organization that's been criticized for at Oscars so white for many years. I think that's all a great step. I think he'll be a terrific host, but if the ratings go down and if he does something wrong, then what?
0: Right. The Oscars will air live on Sunday, February 24th on ABC. Stephen Galloway, executive editor at The Hollywood Reporter. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive and iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.